FMX Network Production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. You know a new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's industry seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires and brought to you by Blendsall, Plum Creek Funding, Works Connection, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, 612 Suspension, and Fly Racing. It is Sunday. I just got back to the hotel. It is Sunday night. And yeah, this is Industry Seating. I am Jason Thomas. And we are back to racing. That is so exciting to say. And what a good day compared to the, the past, what, seven Sundays? Or I don't even know how many Sundays. It's been a lot of Sundays without any racing. Um, been more than seven. I don't know why I said seven, but it's been a long time since we've gone racing and didn't really know what to expect. Kind of a weird atmosphere all day long, but that's okay. It wasn't going to be exactly the same, right? I'm so used to pit parties and the VIP experience that I host for the Rocky Mountain KTM team and just so much going on throughout the day. And we, you know, we do fly racing radio with Steve Mathis and Jason Wygan and just constantly running around. And if you've ever run into me on race day, you'll notice that I'm moving really fast at all times in some direction, just because I'm getting pulled in these directions, but it's all really fun. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. Well, this was kind of the antithesis to that. There was really no urgency. And yeah, we got there pretty early comparatively because of the schedule. You know, we were there probably 7.30-ish. But I really didn't have anywhere I had to be or anything I had to do other than the Instagram lives that we did with uh, RacerX Online and, and Fly Racing USA. And obviously, we wanted to watch the bikes while they're on the track. But other than that, there wasn't a lot we could do. We were not allowed to interact with the teams. We were not allowed to kind of wander the pits and talk to anybody. You know, Steve Mathis couldn't go steal coffee from teams and and go generally bother them. So we were more or less confined to the press box, which was great. You know, air conditioning and, and Wi-Fi and all the creature comforts that you would expect. But it was just a very different race day. And, and I've gone to that Salt Lake round so many times. And being that it's close to Idaho, it's only what, four hours, a little over four hours from the fly racing headquarters. It's usually kind of a a big reunion of employees and friends and a lot of people driving down. Well, it wasn't that. It was the bare necessities of who could be there to execute the race. But hey, again, like I said at the beginning, we'll take it. It was dirt bike racing. Now, what went on last night, Saturday night, and leading up to that was something else altogether. Now, I'm hoping all of you listening to this are safe, right? It's been a wild weekend for America, and Salt Lake City was no different. And I'm not going to turn this into a political pulpit. Uh, you are completely entitled to believe or side wherever you may land on any of these issues. But I did not, I repeat, I did not expect for downtown Salt Lake City, Utah to be a hotspot for riots. I just did not see that coming. So, 
that was pretty crazy. It was going on maybe half a mile from my hotel. I could see the helicopter. I could see smoke. I could see a car burning uh, in the distance. Uh, I don't really think it was all that dangerous. There were, you know, we were watching the local news as well as the national news. And yeah, there were some people that were upset here, but as far as it being a very dangerous situation, I never really got that feeling here in Salt Lake. Now, if you want to talk about Philadelphia or New York or Atlanta or, or somewhere else, that's a completely different scenario. And I cannot imagine what those people are going through and the emotions that are, you know, fueling all of this right now. So we won't touch on any of that, but it definitely was an issue here. And to bring the relevance about it, we were not sure if we were going racing as of late last night. Uh, I was getting emails at, you know, 9, 10, 11, midnight uh, with updates that we were still good to go and everybody should be ready to roll in the morning. The pits opened at 6 a.m. So people were still waiting and, and hopeful that this was going to be okay and things would simmer down a little bit before we had to go racing. And, and that's exactly what happened today. I, I went and made a food run for our little crew. And yeah, you couldn't tell anything was going on. It was totally normal. Although there was a curfew in effect for all of Salt Lake, unless you were working. So we were exempt from that and the race was exempt from that as well. So we were allowed to go racing. I want to thank the sponsors before we get too far into this. Uh, Pirelli Tires, Works Connection, Blenzol Oils. Uh, I want to thank Plum Creek Funding, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, 612 Suspension, and Fly Racing. Thank all of you for being a part of this. Now, as for the racing, pretty good, right? Um, you know, say what you want about the track, and, and we'll get into that a little bit. I, I just finished watching the press conference and listen to their comments. And, and I was curious to see what those guys would say. And they didn't really pull any punches. And I think that's fair. The track was pretty difficult in those main events. It broke down significantly. You know, we're experiencing high 80s for temperature. It was high 90s yesterday. So for them to keep any moisture in the track was, I don't want to say impossible, but near it. And yeah, the Salt Lake dirt is difficult. I've raced on it many times myself, and I know that it breaks down and deteriorates. I've never raced on it in late May where it's this hot. You know, I've raced on it in snow and in rain and in pretty good conditions too. But you put this hot of a sun on top of dirt like Utah has, and you put it inside a stadium where it's just, you know, it's just going to bake over time. And it's going to be very difficult. I do not envy the Dirtworks crew and the task in front of them for the next three weeks because it's not going to get any better. And that's exactly what Ken Roxon said. Although he did say that I don't think it could get any worse, and I don't know if that was tongue-in-cheek, but I can't imagine it's going to get a lot better. Now, the only thing they will have working in their favor is that we will have some night racing going on. So maybe, and just maybe, when the sun goes down, that will help keep some moisture in it. And for those main events specifically – there will be a little bit more traction and it won't get as dusty and as hard pack as, you know, that first turn section and, and going across the start after the finish was today. Those sections were pretty brutal and, and we typically don't see conditions like that. It's been a long time since we've seen a track that dry and that hard. But again, we don't typically race on May 31st and we don't race into early and middle of June. So be prepared for it. You know, this is very much like Vegas every year. And, and I made that remark to a few people today was this is Vegas, basically, you know, five hours north. We're, we're used to seeing just blue groove, hard pack, dusty conditions throughout practice and throughout the race. 
And we're probably not going to get away from that over the next few weeks. So we might as well just get used to it. Now, I made a few notes here, you know, throughout the day as the day was progressing. And I kind of mentioned, you know, the riots that went on Saturday night. Everybody was kind of holding their breath because, remember, we just left this coronavirus. And that's put us on hiatus for months. And then we finally just break through and we defy all the odds and we get to go racing. And then we have this, you know, this tragedy across America where riots are going on and there's all this civil unrest and we almost get canceled again. And it was close. I know there were lots and lots of phone calls going on last night about whether we can do this and how bad is this going to get. And I think if it really did deteriorate to where there was a lot of violence and, and we would, if we would have been in a city like New York or Philadelphia or somewhere Atlanta, I think it would have got canceled. Uh, the one saving grace is that even the riots that went on here, which I don't want to downplay them, they weren't to the level of some of those other cities. So I think they, they realized if they could get people to just go home and for the situation to deescalate, then we would be okay for a Sunday afternoon race. And that's exactly what happened. So as for the race itself, like I said, it was very weird. And, you know, for practice, no big deal. I'm I'm very used to the stands being empty in it. And that didn't feel all that crazy. You know, at a normal afternoon practice session, there are some people coming in. Maybe for the final qualifying sessions, there are people starting to file in. But it still felt the same where it's, it's quiet. The stadium is, is fairly empty. And the people that were there are mostly the teams and riders. But when those, you know, there was no opening ceremonies. So when they said we're going racing at one, they weren't kidding. Like we had a, an an impromptu national anthem and then it was go time. Like bikes were on the line and I actually had to run back to my, my seat because, you know, I'm so used to all the delay and there's all this pomp and circumstance, which is great for fans. But when we don't have fans, there was no delay. So we went right into it. And that was very different to have rate, you know, meaningful racing, even if it was qualifying with no sound, no fans, no anything. There were no fireworks before there were, there was none of that. That was a, a weird feeling. And it, it didn't take the air out of it. It just felt different. And in the press conference, which I just watched, most of the riders all kind of echoed the same thing is it wasn't bad. It was just very different. And if they were in a battle, normally you, the crowd goes crazy and, and you know, the, the rider that's moving forward feeds off of it and the rider in the, in the front that's maybe going backwards, it's really hard to, to hear that because you, you know, the crowd's cheering for you getting past that was all removed. So it was really, uh, much more like riding at a local track or, or battles that these guys would have throughout the week, except in this case, there was, there were points and, and lots of money on the line and all the pressure of, you know, this is their job for these guys. So weird, eerie feeling throughout all of the qualifiers and the main events. Obviously, we had a different format, so that was interesting. All the 250s went, you know, their qualifiers went straight through with a little break to let them regroup before their LCQ. And then we went to uh, main NBC if you were lucky enough to avoid the, you know, the coverage of the protests. We went to main NBC for the 450 racing. So I don't know if that's going to be a long-term change. I doubt it, but it was certainly different. Um, you know, the one thing I noticed was there wasn't a lot of waiting around. You know, we didn't have a lot of the uh, in-stadium entertainment. You know, Toyota normally has uh, stuff for fans to get interactive, and there, there are all these things that go on at the stadium. And if you, all, most of you have been to a Supercross, where it kind of just drags a bit, and you're waiting for more action. 
there wasn't a lot of waiting that went on in this. You know, as soon as they could get guys back up there to line up, we were going racing again. And I love it. You know, I think it was very efficient. I don't know how it played off at home for, for people on TV. And please reach out to me and, and let me know what your thoughts were, how it looked on TV. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the ratings were for, you know, main NBC. And, and some of that, the protest coverage is going to, to reflect that. So we'll just have to play that by ear and maybe we'll get a better picture in coming weeks, whether it's Wednesday or next Sunday. But I'm hoping that we got new eyeballs on it and, and maybe just maybe we'll get a chance to retain some of those people and create some new fans. You know, I I hear so much on both sides of we have to reach new people and we have to grow the sport. And then you hear the other side where people are much more cynical that we're not going to retain those people. And it's an enthusiast sport and it's a niche sport. And you know, it's all a pipe dream to grow it to these other levels. I kind of come down in the middle I have evidence on both sides. I do think it will be hard to grow the sport just because we're getting better coverage, you know, similar to the X games argument where that really didn't grow because we were getting great coverage. You know, there were a lot of people that said that X games was going to take us to a new level. I don't really think that happened, but at the same time, if you look at a guy like Adam Cincerillo, the only way he learned about the sport was on TV. That's literally how he got into it he and his family watched a race on TV and he thought it was awesome and he wanted to go do that. So there is a case to be made for that. So like I said, I, I'm, I kind of land in the middle and if, if Mathis was listening to this, he would claim I'm waffling. Uh, but I, I can totally understand the argument for both sides in that format though. I was kind of thinking if you're a 450 guy, you're just waiting forever, right? You, you finish your practice and they, the 450 guys, the a guys finished at around 1115, something like that. And they're just waiting and waiting and the two fifties start at one and they're waiting. And then it comes around to like two o'clock and they finally get to ride. Uh, I was just wondering what their perspective was because waiting when you're at a race and there's all the pressure and everything building, waiting is the worst. There, there is nothing worse than waiting to get going. You're just under torture and, and sitting around and thinking what could go, what could go well and what could go poorly. And again, for these guys, racing and crashing and all that stuff is you just, you know what you're signing up for, but the waiting is the hardest part. So it'll be interesting to hear from them what their perspective was on this different format. Now, as we get into the two fifties, you know, it was, uh, I don't want to say it wasn't a great race, but there were certainly, um, packs of guys that were racing together and we saw a lot of separation. Before we get to cover it too much, I want to thank Pirelli. They were, like I said, every on every episode, they were the first pod, or first sponsor to jump on board with the Industry Seating Podcast. And for those of you who have reached out, um, I really appreciate you asking the questions about Pirelli. And, and please let me know how your tires are working out. I truly believe in the Pirelli brand, and I don't want to sign up with sponsors for this podcast that I don't believe in. I, I really don't want to come on here and, and ask you to support sponsors that I have not worked with in the past and that I do not believe in. So if you're out there riding, give Pirelli a chance, try that, uh, MX 32 Scorpion, either the mid hard or the mid soft, depending on where you ride and what the, you know, the dirt in your area is, I think you'll be very happy with it. So as for the main event, it was kind of a McElrath Sexton runaway and I don't know what they showed on TV, but they were just gone. You know, uh, March Banks, I thought rode really well, but at the same time, he was 18 seconds down at the end, something like that. 
he really wasn't even relevant in their race. I would imagine he couldn't see them and they couldn't see him. But that shouldn't detract from Marchbanks' ride. He rode really, really well. He moved up past J-Mart, a super aggressive pass. And, you know, he, in, in the press conference, he made mention that the track was very hard to pass on and he had an angle and he had to kind of take it because you never really know if you're going to get another ch- or another shot or not. And with his pace, he was able to ride away from J-Mart. Um, I kind of expected J-Mart to make a run back because it was a really aggressive pass and J-Mart almost went down. But you got to give credit to Marchbanks because he did have the superior pace over J-Mart and, and those guys all separated away from each other. Even McElrath and Sexton, they really never got super close. There was a time, though, with a few laps to go, when Sexton kind of used the lappers to his advantage, and he got close to McElrath, and we all kind of held our breath, hoping we would get a great battle. I think the biggest key there, there were well, two things. One, Sexton could not get this triple out of the corner in the same turn where Marchbanks hit J-Mart, and there was, it was in the middle of two really difficult rhythm sections, and McElrath was seat bouncing out of the turn, getting three in and carrying a lot of momentum where Sexton was kind of wheel tapping. And it wasn't even really a wheel tap. It was more of kind of a, just a bounce. And it, it wasn't, it wasn't slow because it was the, the main line for the majority of the racing field, except for the elite four fifties, but it was definitely slower than McElrath and visibly slower. You could see him lose time there every single lap. And every time if McElrath could just maintain his gap there, he would pull a little bit back out on Sexton there. And then Sexton would have to work all the way around the track to make up that gap that McElrath was making in that one little section. So just goes to show, you know, the, these wins can sometimes be in the smallest details and just tripling versus kind of bouncing. And and you're still doing the same rhythm. It's just how much momentum you can carry through a jump. And then what that leads to the rest of the section. The other main factor that is once Sexton got to him, there was there were a few laps where McElrath got held up and Sexton got close. Colt Nichols, who had gone down on the first lap, was in between them. And this is not a team sport. I understand that. And, I, and Colt Nichols did nothing wrong. But at the same time, when you know your teammate is battling to try to win a championship and you're going to do everything you can to stay in between them. And that doesn't mean he blocked Sexton. He didn't do anything wrong. But at the same time, he's going – He's well, I shouldn't say that he's going to. He's not going to give Sexton the line easily. Even if he can just add a second or two to Shane McElrath's lead by not getting out of the way, that could mean the difference. And that's how these things go when you have teammates and when you don't have teammates. Look at the race between Eli Tomac and Ryan Dungey at Vegas in 2017. Ryan Dungey had – the KTM guys, he had Blake Baggett, he had Jason Anderson, all of those guys, they weren't working for Dungey, but they certainly, they were certainly helping a little bit. You remember Jason Anderson just blasting Chad Reed out of the way to protect Dungey. You remember Baggett getting out of the way week after week for Dungey. And there, there certainly was a team order to not screw it up for Dungey, right? They were all working towards one goal. Dungey was the guy that was in the run for the championship and everyone needed to make sure they did everything they could to help that happen. Now, Colt Nichols is no different. And I don't know that there was a team order given, but Colt understands that if I can help McElrath get a bigger gap, he's probably going to do that. That's just how these things work. So I didn't see anything out of line at all. And I don't want it to come across like anything was foul play because it certainly was not. But these are just the little nuances that 
come up and that can make the difference between winning and getting second place. So great ride from both of those two. It certainly tightened up the points gap a little bit, which I'm happy about because I want these things to be exciting. I want to go down the stretch every single round being, you know, championship on the line. And if Sexton had won tonight and, and Shana got second, it would have stretched it out the other way. And yeah, I, I think this was, would have started to slip away for Sugar Shane. But yeah, he, he stepped up, he got it done. And much like Tampa, where their first round, you know, Shane came out swinging, it was, it was kind of that same exact feel. Sexton rode better than he did at Tampa, but Shane kind of rode flawlessly from start to finish. Got the start twice, really never had to get into re- any real battle at any point. The key will be, can he maintain that? And he even said that in the in his pre, in his post race interviews that he learned a lot from uh, those first rounds and how he kind of fell off the pace after the first round. So he's going to try to not let that happen again. And now it's up to Sexton to turn it on, turn the pressure on, and get back to the front. So that's an unfolding story, and we'll just have to watch. Luckily, we've only got a few days to wait. Literally just Monday and Tuesday, and then we'll we'll be right back over there to Rice Stadium. That's pretty awesome. We haven't seen racing this close in decades, and uh, yeah, I'm really, really excited for it. So great ride by those two. Great ride by March Banks coming off of his Daytona win. J-Mart, not bad. Um, you know, I, I think his big emphasis has been on outdoors. You know, I've heard rumors that he's not going to even ride the finale. He's going to go focus on the outdoor series. I wonder, though, as the Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Series there are rumors that it's going to push the date a couple weeks into July. Will that change his mind? You know, because that would be, if that's the case, he would have nearly a full month to prepare for outdoors. I don't know. You know, that, that shoot, these uh, showdown races are pretty cool. We'll see what happens. But that was the rumor that J-Mart was going to race, but then not do the entire series and, and head back to uh, Tomac's place to focus on his run at another Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Championship. So just watch for that as we play out. I doubt that this fourth place today really helped his chances because he was nowhere near the top two. I mean, he was way, way, way back. Uh, He was the next guy. If they were going to lap to fourth, he would have been the next guy. That leads me to Pierce Brown. And for those of you who don't know a lot about Pierce Brown, he is a Utah native. He hasn't lived here in a long time, but, you know, he's, he's been you know, being groomed to turn professional and and at MTF and all these places. But he is a Utah native. He has a lot of fans in this Utah Valley. And he rode an unbelievable race to get back to fifth place. He crashed with Colt Nichols on the first lap, and he was on my Pulpamex fantasy team, and I was, you know, smashing my fist into the table. But he did everything he could do. He got back to fifth place from dead last. Now, I don't know if he could have beat J-Mart. His best lap was a full second slower than J-Mart's best lap. But if you're going to start last and get fifth, I don't really know what else could be asked of him. You know, this was his third Supercross ever. I thought it was an incredible ride. And literally on the second lap of the race, I was watching his pace and the way he was attacking the track. And I was yelling down the row in our social distancing way to Steve Mathis and Jason Wygant about how fast Pierce Brown was going. And they're kind of looking at me like I'm crazy because he was, you know, second to last or whatever. But he rode incredibly well to get to fifth. Even then, think about how fast Sexton and McElrath would go were going because they both lapped him. They both lapped all the way up to fifth place. 
There is the other side of that that says the lap times were 42, 43 seconds. I get it, right? A shorter track, you're going to lap up further than normal. There, there are all of those qualifiers in there. And Pierce Brown should not be discouraged by being lapped. Listen, I've been lapped a lot. I've been lapped hundreds of times in my life. That that's, sounds horrible, but that's true. And it, the simple fact is for a Supercross, especially in my era, if you were doing 20 laps and you were two to three seconds slower, which is pretty normal, you know, if you're going to, to say you're two or three seconds off the lead, which is Carmichael and Stewart, you're going to get lapped in the race. That's the math behind it. A typical track is between 50 and 60 seconds, two to three seconds times 20. And you're there. That's how it always goes. Now on a track like this, the, the 250 class, they did 21 laps. And on a 42 second track, you only had to be, you know, two seconds a lap slower. And that's if you started with them. Now Pierce Brown started way, way, way behind those two. So they only had to make up, you know, probably 20, 25 seconds to lap him. So really not a big deal when you really analyze it and look at the math. There's nothing for Pierce Brown to be upset about. He should be really, really happy with his ride and his career and his future looks extremely bright. So great job to him. Talk about the sponsors a little bit more. Blenzol Oils, uh, really happy with the relationship with David over there. And they are expanding. Every time I talk to those guys, they are into a new project. They have Michael Lessi ready to rip on his YZ125. He's going to race uh, these 125 all-star races at the Lucas Oil Pro Motocross races. So watch for that. Uh, he's probably going to dominate these guys. I mean, you think about how good Michael Lessi is. And they have a 125 that they put a lot of time and R&D into. So that'll be fun to watch him attack those races. And yeah, just Blenzol is just trying to gain traction back in the sport and let people know they're there. So check out their Instagram at Blenzol and go to Blenzol.com for all of your oil needs. want to thank Zach at Plum Creek Funding. Listen, he's talked to a lot of people and not everybody, you know, it doesn't always make sense to buy or refi. That's okay. He's there to answer questions. So reach out to Zach at Plum Creek Funding is his Instagram, and his phone number is 720-212-4685. Sorry, I had to read my phone there. It's uh, 720-212-4685. Reach out to Zach, ask your questions, and there's a lot of craziness going on right now. So I think most people, it's a good move to even see if refinancing makes sense. Some of you out there want to buy. I get it. That's a great spot to be in too. But refinancing with the rates and the way this is going, there's never been a better time in history to refinance house. And that's fact. That's not my opinion. I'm not smart enough to have an opinion on that. That's just fact. And I've read that all over. So give Zach a call and ask your unique questions about your unique situation. Now the 450 class, I think we were all wondering how this was going to shape up. There's There was a three-point gap coming into the series, right? Eli Tomac over Ken Roxon and Justin Barsha and Cooper Webb were trying to hang in there. They were both, you know, 20 plus points down, hanging around, hoping that they could find a mistake or, or Roxon and Tomac would crash in the first turn or do something stupid to let them back into this thing. And I had my doubts too. I, I didn't know, right? I really thought Cooper Webb would win this thing and he gave it, gave it everything he had. He kept Eli Tomac honest but Tomac just had too much. Now, most of you, I'm sure, just like me, 
when you saw Tomac getting passed by Roxon and Cooper Webb, you were like, oh boy, here we go. Because that's always been Tomac's nemesis. He's generally the fastest guy most of the time. And when he gets passed, he has shown a tendency to let that really mentally bother him. And I thought it was a big moment for him to fight back and say, no, no, not this time. We're at Salt Lake, and I'm very good at Salt Lake, and I'm going to win. I thought it was a huge moment for him. Mentally, physically, you never really worry too much. But mentally, he seems like he gets in his own way when things aren't going perfectly. And he overcame all that. Now, Blake Baggett, I thought, had a chance to win. And I'm not sure if he had arm pump or got tired or what the scenario was with Baggett. But Baggett's first five or six laps, he was just out of there. And he had a perfect scenario where Justin Brayton was kind of running, I don't want to say blocker for him because Brayton was running a really good pace, but he was the interference between himself and the, the pack that was Webb, Roxon, and Tomac, which is kind of the the pack of death if you're the leader. Those guys, when they're coming for you, there's not much that's going to stop them. So for Baggett, I, I really thought he had an opportunity to run away at the beginning, and I think he tried. And I don't know if that's what led to him uh, I'll use a term here, blowing up and I'm using air quotes there, but it's when you go too hard, too early and you either your heart rate explodes and it, you redline and you can't hold that pace or you push too hard and you get arm pump. Now I haven't talked to anybody and I, and I will try to get more information on that, but you could certainly see Baggett wasn't able to ride with the intensity he had. And then that turned much worse and he faded all the way to seventh place. And you, you could see him hesitating and not pushing in areas where, you know, flat sections of the track, he was, looks like he was trying to get his breath or rest his arms, but there was something going on there. And I I will get to the bottom of it as the, the days roll on and get an answer for you guys. But it was a little disheartening to see Blake fade back to seventh there. But as for the lead at the front, I was hoping we were going to get a battle for the ages because it was absolutely set up for that. You had the three that you wanted Webb, Roxon and Tomac all together, and they were moving forward And you really didn't know where it was going to go. You know, Tomac got shuffled back and then Webb kind of had the opportunity in front of him. He was on his way forward and you you felt like he was going to get Brayton for sure. I wasn't certain he would get Baggett, but obviously they, they caught up pretty quickly. But I was a little surprised to see Tomac move through so quickly. It was like Tomac just flipped a switch and instead of letting that uh, adversity get to him and really mentally challenge him. He used it as fuel and he just rocketed back forward. And I think more than anything, when he went back to, he was in fifth at one point, I think it forced him to take a deep breath and just look up at the guys in front of him, figure out what they're doing and then charge back. And that's been the challenge for him. That's been what he hasn't overcome in years past, you go back to certain races where you just scratch your head and you cannot figure out what he's doing. There was an opportunity for that to happen again today, and he did not let that happen. So kudos to him. Unbelievable ride by him. And yeah, Cooper Webb kept him honest. Eli wasn't able to to run away or anything like that. But I never really felt like he was in danger either. I kind of felt like he had the race in hand. And if, if Webb made a run, Tomac could have picked the pace up. But again, anytime you go and pick the pace up like that for either one of them, that comes at a big risk, right? And and they both made mention of that in the 
post-race press conference that if you tried to go faster, the tendency was that you would make a mistake and you would end up going slower. You, even if you didn't crash, trying harder would raise your lap time. And it almost, you almost had to be patient because the track was so slippery and it was, uh, there were so many holes and ruts that had hardened up that you had to let the track come to you instead of getting more aggressive. And that's a really challenging thing to do, especially if you're web and you are trying to make up time on, you know, the leader, the tendency is you want to go faster, right? You get more aggressive and push harder and get on the throttle earlier and, and apply more gas everywhere. But to go faster on that track, you had to really find a happy medium of being aggressive, but flowing through the corners and getting off the brakes earlier and not necessarily more throttle, but maybe less brakes and smoother throttle delivery. And and those are very, very high level techniques to do at, at the pace that they're going. Because many of you, just like me, the tendency is going to be get in there and just grab a handful of throttle and I got to go faster, right? That just doesn't work on a track like Salt Lake City. And to watch those guys use finesse to go faster, uh, it really is art. And there's so much skill that comes into it when those guys are doing it. And that's why they're able to run away and lap super talented guys that they're out there with. I will say, though, for Ken Roxon, I I thought we would get a little more from him because that track in the, the ways you had to ride it, like I was mentioning, you had to be so patient. You had to you know, kind of get off the brakes on the, in, into the corners on the entry and let the bike roll through the corner and then pick the throttle back up super late into the corner. That is so good for Kenny. And he is so naturally gifted at those things. And I don't believe that's really Cooper Webb's strength and, and really not Tomac either. They are better and they are more comfortable when they can be aggressive and they can let that aggress- aggression pay dividends and they can use their strength and, and all the things like you, you can literally see them pick up the aggression in their riding. And that really works for them. Where Kenny, if Kenny's, you know, just smooth as ice, that's when he's at his best. A track like Glendale, where he's just flowing through the corners and he's very easy on his inputs. He's very easy on the brakes. He's very easy on the throttle. Those are Kenny's gifts. That's what he's talented at doing on the motorcycle more than most elite level riders. So I think it was an opportunity missed by Kenny, but he will get six more chances at it. You know, there's always that. Uh, but he certainly didn't want to give up those points to Tomac today and nothing's, you know, nothing's ruined. It's still, you know, single digit points lead. I believe it's nine. I haven't looked at it, but I believe it's nine. So it's fine, but yeah, you're going the wrong way. That's not the direction you wanted to go. You didn't want to give Eli Tomac confidence coming off of the long break, especially after Tomac has really struggled coming off of long breaks, right? You go into a one and, and Eli's really never seemingly at his best. Well, he was damn sure at his best in May coming off of, you know, two or three month break. So if you were, if you were, you know, team uh, Red Bull KTM or, uh, team HRC Honda, you were really hoping to turn the tides a little bit and get this back to a wide open fight, especially if you're Cooper Webb, you really needed to win and hope for something to go wrong for at least one of the two. You didn't necessarily get that. Okay, you made some points up on Roxon, but not enough, and you lost even more points to Eli Tomac. So, good day. Nothing wrong with second place. Let's start there. You always got to qualify these statements if you're not, you know, just praising someone. 
but it wasn't exactly what he wanted, right? He, he lost more points at the end of the day to the leader than he came in. And above all else, that's really what you're hoping for is you want the points to shrink versus grow. I do think Cooper Webb is really riding well. He's done a great job of defending his number one plate. And I think he's going to get a win or maybe more in these next six rounds. He's riding incredibly well. And he's going to find a situation that suits him. I don't think Tomac's going to get the start every time. That's just what we've seen historically. There will be a round out of seven where he gets a bad start. And Cooper Webb has to be ready to pounce when that happens. Uh, But maybe, just maybe, this is Eli Tomac's year. But we got a lot of racing left. There's going to be racing coming at us, you know, every few days. And it's very easy to say Tomac has this in hand after round 11, but I think that would be very foolish and it's just too early. We're still talking about a single digit points lead here. And even after a win, we have to remember how tight this series is and one tip over one first turn crash, one sprained ankle, one, anything could change the entire picture of this for everybody. So we'll just see how that plays out as we move forward. I want to talk about works connection a little bit. Now, if you're like Zach Osborne and (laughs) You need a starting device for your start, which he he had a failure on the line. His fork guard broke, and his mechanic, Dave Feeney, had to frantically replace that, which didn't work all the way, and then the fork guard still ripped off because he was only able to get one fork guard bolt in there. And I don't know what you guys could see on TV, but this was happening literally right before the gate dropped. And Zacho raced over, got his bike back on the starting line, and you know got there before the gate dropped, but this was all pure panic. And Zach said he looked at the data and his heart rate was around 150 when the gate dropped because they were frantically trying to fix the bike. And even he was working on it at one point. That's not a good sign. But Zach also knew how critical it is to get a starting device on your bike, whichever brand it is. Point being of all this, you need to get a pro launch start device from Works Connection on your bike if you want any chance of getting a whole shot. I've tried starting with it. I raced for years without a starting device and I've raced for years with them. And you really have no legitimate chance at a good start without it. If you're, if you're on a dirt start, forget it. You have no shot without it. It it really is that big, that much of a difference. Now the big difference with works connection is their devices, their pro launch start device is specifically built for your make and model. And that's different from a lot of the competition out there. And that's why I really prefer the works connection pro launch start devices. It is perfectly built to work with your fork diameter and your fork guard assembly versus some of the other, uh, one size fits all out there. So thank you to works connection as well. Also want to thank premier vapor blasting and all of you who are out there wanting to get some restoration done. You're maybe you're working on an older bike. Maybe you're getting your two stroke dialed in to go out and get some riding done this summer. Please check out their Instagram premier vapor, premier vapor blasting. And see what it's all about. They are seriously redefining restoration. I I was blown away when I first talked to Brandon and I didn't know much about it. I was kind of like, eh, like I said, I I don't really want to work with companies I don't know much about or I don't believe in. As soon as I went on their Instagram and saw what they could do, I was all in, period. Like end of story, I was in there. So go check those guys out. If you mention the Industry Seating Podcast, they will honor a 25% discount. So that's pretty sweet too. A little bit more on the racing, uh, moving back through the field a little bit. Uh, Zach Osborne and Jason Anderson had a great battle. And Martin Davos got right up in that too. 
And for those of you who, you know, like I said, I haven't watched the race on TV, so I don't know what they showed. Martin Davalos deserves a ton of credit for that ride. He moved forward passing Blake Baggett. He was right behind Zach Osborne at the end, like pressuring him. And we were all a little nervous if, if Davalos was going to get Osborne for our fantasy points there. But those guys were all kind of mired in a three-way battle the last few laps. And I think they'll be relevant. You know, Jason Anderson rode pretty well. And it's easy to say they didn't have anything for the first three. And that's fair. I get it. But I don't think you're going to see, you know, Tomac, Roxon, and Webb get the start every single time. They're not going to be in the top five on the end of the first lap every single time. So that's going to present opportunities for guys like Anderson. I think Baggett will get good starts more often than not. Uh, so hopefully he can figure out whatever was going on in that main event and, and get in there too. And then I think Brayton will find his race legs because remember he broke his hand at Daytona with that last lap collision with Freezy. So yeah, he didn't get a lot of riding in during this break. He was trying to heal up for a lot of it. And I think, you know, 30 laps in that main event really took a toll on Brayton fading back there towards the end. And I think he'll get better and better over the course of the next few weeks. He'll get rest in, he'll rest Monday, Tuesday. And every time those guys go out for that main event, they'll get a little bit better. So a lot of good racing. I think we're going to be in for some variants. This was a very predictable kind of race where we kind of thought Tomac would win. We knew almost could predict the podium in some order. I don't think that's going to be the case every time. I think we will see some craziness. There's just too much racing over too short of a span to think that we won't see some wild main events in our future. I also want to thank 612 Suspension. And 612 is part of the Racetech family. So for many of you who have heard Steve Mathis, you know, rant about Racetech over the years, 612 is absolutely a part of that. You can go to 612 Suspension. That's six and the number one, two suspension on their Instagram and go to 612suspension.com. Ronnie Monk's your man over there. He can get you dialed in on your UTV, ATV, motocross bike, off-road bike, whatever the case may be. He's got a ton of experience. He's a second generation guy. I've known that family for a very long time. And again, same theme here. I don't like to work with companies I don't know inside and out. And I can vouch for those guys over there. So please check those guys out. And if your bike is due for even an oil change, right? Forget about getting it souped up or, or you know, you can obviously get it revalved and that's the way to go. But even if you just need an oil change, they can get you dialed in. So go check out 612 Suspension. And finally, Fly Racing. All of you know that's where my passion is. Go check out the Formula Helmet at formula.flyracing.com. So thank you to all those sponsors. And we're almost into another week of racing. It's going to be crazy because we're not going to have to wait very long. I mean, this is literally the shortest wait since going back to the double headers of the 90s. And I think I'm going to do a little update on Wednesday night or Thursday after the race. So this podcast will be a little shorter. And that's fine because I think I'm going to do two a week. So all of you who are saying, oh man, it was only 40 something minutes this week. Don't worry. It's going to keep coming. These races are going to be fast and furious. And I want to give all of the content I can. And instead of one a week, we're going to get two a week. So thank you to everyone for listening. I got to go do the racer review podcast over at racer X with uh, Steve Mathis and Jason Wygant. But I want to thank all the sponsors. I want to thank all of you for listening. And more than anything, thank God we're back to racing because the boredom was getting real. And I was running out of stories and I didn't know what I was going to talk about on these weekly podcasts for too much longer, but Hey, that's all behind us. We have racing and it's coming back on Wednesday. Thanks everybody. See you.